Before we get started, a quick disclosure. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. And with that, hello and welcome to the Range to Capital podcast. This is a 15-minute long podcast, and the clock starts now. I'm Andrew Walker, Portfolio Manager at Rangely, and with me as always is my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. It is Friday, April 22nd. Today we're going to start by start with a quick update on the Yahoo sale process, and then we're going to have an in-depth discussion on financial fraud. Uh, so Chris, Yahoo is undergo is looking to sell their core bin- business. We talked about it a little bit on our February 19th podcast, Yahoo, worth more dead than alive, question mark. Uh, so why don't you walk us through the current state of the bidding? Sure. Um, it's sort of a shotgun uh, wedding. Uh, the uh, management is not that excited about this. It's not shotgun as in it's a, uh, unexpected and rushed. It's shotgun as in shareholders are holding a shotgun to their head and yes. forcing the deal to be done. And um, But they're kind of going through the motions of selling at very least. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that the um, activity has been busy but tepid. Yep. Um, there have been a lot of people that have at least taken a look. Uh, certainly the uh, sellers, bankers have kind of referred to lots of bidders. In at least two cases, those uh, putative bidders put out releases saying, no, actually, <laughs> no, they, they we're not looking at it. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I would say that at very least on the strategic side, uh, Verizon is serious. Verizon's the front runner, I think most people agree. Mm-hmm. Do you want to talk through a little bit about why Verizon is the front runner? They own AOL. Yep. Uh, the combination might actually make some sense. They have a uh, individual executive, Tim Armstrong, who could manage it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so they have kind of management, financing, and a strategic rationale all in place. Yeah, so I think the the thought process is there. We own AOL. Under AOL is the Huffington Post. They have this Go90 video streaming service that they want to push. And the, the thesis there is, we'll get Yahoo, and Yahoo has a tons, tons of users. We take those users, we push them to our other properties, and... Boom, synergies. I will say I personally am very, very suspect on this uh, combination, but uh, you can at least see what they're thinking there. Who else is in the bidding uh, is in the re- bidding war here? Uh, TPG, one of my favorite private equity groups, mm-hmm. uh, is uh, working on this with YP Holdings, the cool name for Yellow yep. Pages. Um, and uh, they have some uh, tax uh, advantages of doing this. YP could do this is a reverse Morris trust, um, and that that would be a, a tax-free, tax-advantage acquisition of yep. Yahoo. Uh, tax being the big problem with getting a maximum value to Yahoo shareholders, yep. and that would be uh, an advantage of selling to YP. So TPG owns about 53% of YP Holdings, which is the new name of yellowpages.com, which it's kind of funny. You think Yellow Pages buys Yahoo, just combine all the old antiquated businesses. But by uh, Yellow Pages, by using their shares to acquire Yahoo's business, they could do it in a very tax-advantaged way. And as we've mentioned, tax is an issue. Uh other bidders who have dropped out, Comcast, Microsoft, and AT&T were all rumored to have interest. All of them have dropped out at this point, though AT&T owns 47% of YP Holdings. So uh, AT&T is kind of still involved through that. Uh, but Chris, 
this bid process is fraught with drama. Mm-hmm. And why don't you talk a little bit about why, why, what's going on with this bidding process that's so different from a normal bidding process? Sure. Well, when somebody is actually trying to accomplish something versus looking like they're trying mm-hmm. to accomplish it but not succeed, uh, you can do things that superficially look they're, – they're hard to impugn, but they're really unsuccessful. In fact – um, without going into any detail about this, one of the things that I've worked yep. on in deals in the past is when somebody's made it very clear that they'd like me to go through motions but not succeed on a process. Yep. You know, you can send hard-coded data. One thing you can do is just send in vast amounts of data that are very unanalyzable yep. and nobody could say that you didn't give it to them that it would be impossible to go through. We sent you terabytes of data. Of course we sent you everything. It's like, well, you sent us terabytes, but it was completely useless. One that we've seen before. Oh, so the reason this is dramatic is a lot of people are claiming that management doesn't really want to sell and they're just going through the motions. One that we've seen before is uh, one company really wanted to sell to one particular party. And we said, hey, you guys have to fully shop yourselves. And they said, oh, we contacted thousands of people. And it turns out they did. But, you know, the thousands of people were Larry and Joe down the street, not people who could actually buy a business. They only qual- contacted one qualified buyer. In this, cl- in this case, uh, management has a super strict NDA and non-disclosure agreement, and they refuse to discuss the company's outlook at all. Uh, and a lot of shareholders and analysts are saying this is just a process that's being run through the motions not to actually result in a sale. I think, I think the CEO um, also was really early on. I think this is less and less realistic now, mm-hmm. kind of tying the process to her running it. Yeah, uh, yep. And so kind of had a strong innuendo that those were connected. Um, also, it is legitimately complicated that there are different combinations of assets with different complexity, mostly around tax. Some would buy a Yahoo Japan, some would not. So exactly what they're buying, uh, you're getting different dollar figures and different sets of assets. Yeah. And it seems more and more... So there is one quote that said... Um, uh, Yahoo is making an effort and talking to all these buyers, but they're going to run the process for four months and say no one was interested and it'll never get sold. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it does seem increasingly like management is admitting to themselves, we're going to have to sell. Uh, just last week, the management team all updated their change of control agreements, which is generally the precursor to a sale so that they can get paid in a sale. Marissa Meyer will get about $50 million if she does sell. So, Chris, how do you think this ends? Uh, well, Jeff Smith and his team at Starboard will keep them honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, the question is, will uh, the current board and management preempt uh, their owners uh, and do the right thing? Or will the owners have to actually step in uh, and do it for them? I think the, the owners are going to have to step in and do it for them. I think that this is going to be uh, forced and awkward and mm-hmm. slow. Um, and uh, it's going to take a lot of very careful work to make sure this is done properly, especially from a tax perspective. So the two options are management can sell on their own and then give all the proceeds to the shareholders, or management refuses to sell, shareholders kick the board out, and then they sell for, they sell it on their own six, nine months from now. And you think the latter option is looking increasingly mm-hmm. likely. Interesting. I was kind of leaning towards the former given the change of control agreements, but it will be interesting to see how it plays out. Uh, and then we'll just talk – why are we talking about this? It's an interesting uh, opportunity. Today, Yahoo's selling in the market for $37.50. If you look at the sum of their parts right now, uh, you know, core Yahoo is actually only worth a billion, two billion. And then they've got patents and cash that are worth something. But their whole market cap is $35 billion, And the reason is because they own $38 billion or so of Yahoo Japan and Alibaba Group. So the real core to realizing Yahoo's value is – getting rid of those without any tax effect. 
If you can do that, Yahoo's worth $50. If you have to pay full taxes on them, Yahoo's worth about $36. And if you have to do like a semi-efficient tax uh, sale, Yahoo would be worth about $43. That's probably most likely. Not bad upside from today's prices, not too much downside. The real risk is kind of fluctuation in the uh, in the yen, which is what it, Yahoo Japan is denominated in, or Alibaba share price. But uh, no, interesting, interesting uh, opportunity today. Anything else here before we go to fraud? Nope. All right, cool. So uh, fraud. Chris, we're talking about this at it because of the Harvard Food undergrad story. Uh, do you want to take it or you want me to take it? I'll take it. Okay, so uh, Harvard Undergrad Student Council, they will, if you run a student organization, they will provide you food at the rate of $2 to $4 per person plus transportation at $4.50 per person. Uh, No one checks these numbers. The numbers are self-reported. And all the issues that you might expect have kind of resulted from this. Uh, On one day, there were uh, attendance estimates for all events on the day at over 25,000 students. Uh, now, Harvard's total undergrad enrollment is under 7,000 students. And you, you do the math and you say, uh, it's probably not happening every day. So clearly, people were overestimating how many students were come to get extra food. And instead of having to go to McDonald's, they could go to like Chipotle to get their, uh, their catered food. Uh, so this might seem like a silly conversation, but this is actually how a lot of fraud can be uncovered. And Chris, why don't you walk us through how you can use kind of the 25,000 versus 7,000 math there to uncover fraud? Well, these are probably not all evil people, and they're probably not all dishonest people, um, but they are also not telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we are mostly looking at frauds uh, offensively and defensively, too. Defensively, in long positions of ours, we don't want to be defrauded. Offensively, looking for short opportunities. Uh, So I guess we do a bit of both. But analytically, we want to get what is true. Um, I think that this uh, has some characteristics that are similar to important things that we look at, uh, one of which is thinking about things on a relative basis, not just in absolute terms. Is this correct? Am I saying something true? But geez, everybody else is exaggerating uh, and their groups are going to get all this money and I need to keep up. Uh, and so it kind of has a uh, autocatalytic effect. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that that can happen in companies as well. Yep. So I wanted to give an example of this. So in 2010 to 2012, uh, all the rage were, there were these Chinese, and we call them the reverse merger frauds, that blew up and took tons of value investors with them. A really famous one was Sino Forest. John Paulson of kind of the um, housing crisis fame, he owned more than 10% of the company and he lost over $500 million when it turned out the company was mm-hmm. complete fraud, completely worthless. And the trick here was the company said, hey, we processed uh, – and I'm going to simplify the numbers a bit to make this uh, easy for podcast purposes. But, hey, we process about 20 uh, million cubic meters of timber per year. Uh, and if you agreed with that number, all of, their fin- all of their financials made sense. But if you kind of put some critical thinking to it, you could say, okay, the global market for timber is 200 million cubic meters. So that means this one company owns 10% of the uh, timber market. Does that make sense? Well, that's really big, and this company has come from out of nowhere. This, In order to process that much timber, this company would need to own tons and tons of equipment, and their balance sheet doesn't reflect any of that equipment. And then there were other issues with their financials. You know, if you compare the spot price of timber, the spot price of timber to the expense structure and revenues that they claim to report, 
the two deferred wildly, right? And it's because all their numbers were getting made up. So as an analyst, what you can do is you can think about these types of things. Uh, do you want to add anything there, Chris? Um, I would say that with satellite data has been very useful for some of yes, these yes, Chinese great uh, companies. Uh, you can actually look at the infrastructure and uh, experts in infrastructure can look at bridges and roads and say, hey, would it make sense to you that uh, this, number of, uh, uh, this number of products were shipped and learned? Yeah. That number of products hasn't shipped on that road, period, let alone yeah. from that one company yeah. uh, in the area surrounding their factories. It, it, this company, you know, it claims to have 20, 20 uh, million me- cubic meters of timber, and it's all getting processed over, like, one tiny little road mm-hmm. bridge. And you look at it, you're like, I couldn't get one meter of timber over that. How are someone going to get 20 million meters? And, and, and another one that I would point out is that uh, made-up numbers uh, have patterns that yeah. are analyzable. Um, people are not good at intuiting randomness in numbers where there should be randomness. And uh, we, so the numbers often have problems with them. We mentioned this with Bernie Madoff. Mm-hmm. I think his favorite number was 87, and all of his uh, too many of his uh, monthly returns ended in 87, as well as too many of his golf scores. Exactly. Uh, so let's talk about some other fraud stories and some tricks sure. to avoiding fraud. Uh, due diligence in people's products, and Chris, we were talking before the podcast, and you mentioned strange relationships and products is often a sign of fraud. Why don't you dive into that um, example? Well, you know, this is uh, this is an area that got to be unbelievably big for a couple of years. The, I think the peak was around thirty billion dollars of U.S. market cap of Chinese reverse merger. Ninety some percent of it was uh, was nonsense. Um, and uh, so this this was a big area. Um, their product was their stock. Yeah, uh, they were not raising. There's plenty of credit and capital in China, but they were specifically raising it in the U.S. Their whole companies were designed around what. American investors wanted. I even got to one point where I was kind of interviewing and asking questions of a company. Um, and when you do so, being sort of comfortable in your own ignorance, you know, not getting pushed away as an analyst mm-hmm. asking questions. And we started asking more and more questions. And at one point, the company uh, that was doing things that probably made sense in the real world, describing things that they weren't doing in their reporting, they actually started buying up equipment and doing things because they kept getting asked about it, <laughs> even though they made, the things they started to do made no economic yep. sense whatsoever. So that's uh, financing. In general, for one thing you want to look for frauds, frauds are trying to take money and run. Mm-hmm. So one examples are if they're doing ridiculous share issuances, the companies will claim, oh, we're generating tons of cash and tons of profits and we've got no debt and they're issuing shares left and right. It's because they're taking money. Related party transactions where they buy a, buy a company that's controlled by the CEO is a really good way for a CEO to turn the company's money into his money. But let's go back to the products. Uh, sure. Strange relationships and strange relationships. And you personally were talking about a uh, Chinese company that had a Viagra-like product with strange relationships that proved to be short. Why don't you go into that? Well, there was this happened more than once, but sometimes the company's description of their relationships did not in any way match the uh, counterparty to the description. Yeah. You know, they would say that we have these customers, these vendors. Uh, one of them was doing a kind of project with Stanford University and Stanford's prestigious American uh, academic institution's name was all over their disclosures. But Stanford described it when he talked to the people at Stanford as if it was kind of a community yeah. service project that they were offering guidance to start up businesses. Yeah. Yeah. So I think Chris is underselling the story a little bit. So it was this uh, Chinese company that was working on a product that was a combination cucumber growth booster slash 
Miracle Viagra product. So their commercials would be something like it. Well, I, I don't can't say the word that I was thinking, but it does what Viagra does. Plus, it'll help you grow your cucumbers. And in all of their uh, in all of their press releases, they would say backed by scientists at Stanford, approved by Stanford University. Stanford is an original uh, investor. And then you'd call Stanford and you'd be like, "Have you ever heard of this product?" And they would say, "Yes, we have heard of it." And you, you'd be like, "Well, what's your relationship with it?" And they'd be like. We have heard of this yeah. product. They they had nothing to do with it except maybe they'd got an email from it and the guy had maybe gotten a rubber stamped. Uh, I attended one class at Stanford. Uh, the other two things, and we can go through them really quickly because we're kind of running out of time. Uh, sense check, we mentioned it. If a company can't claim to own 10% of a market, they're gonna they're probably going to be pretty big. You can do some sense checking around that. And then one just constant red flag is attacking the shorts. Mm -hmm. And that's when I come out and I say, I think your product is a fraud. Here are all of these serious issues. You have no equipment and uh, your revenues your revenues don't match up with your balance sheet. And then the company, instead of responding to that, would come out and say, Chris the Muth is a terrible man. He has no clue what he's talking about. When he was 12, he had his first beer. How can you trust what this man knows? Do you, do you want to say anything up yeah, there? Yeah, they'll attack you for uh, frequently not, you know, not understanding the specifics of their technology. Mm -hmm. um, uh, you know, who are you to ask this? I have to who say, are you to ask in, this in, the, in the last 10 years, though, the one that's really faded that I used to get constantly that you might get more than I do is age. Yeah. That if you are, you know, if you have spent five years working on something, Something, but you spent 20 to 25, the fact that you're 25 will come up every single time, which of course has nothing to do with anything. And frequently much older and senior people who are legit love getting questions from young people yep. and are glad that young people are interested. But if your age is constantly being brought up because you had a skeptical question, that is not the behavior yeah. of somebody honest. That guy who's questioning our business, he is 27. Yeah. He knows nothing. <laughs> it's just, uh, so those are one of the biggest ones. When It's the political maneuver, right? You're getting asked a question over here, and you don't respond to that. You attack them on something else. Yeah. Uh, so, Chris, I think we're running out of time. Anything, just, any last thoughts on fraud? Or? Let, me, let me just blurt out two other ones that I was going to mention, but I can say this quickly. Um, some of them never even they wanted to spend the money personally in the US. They never even took down the money so that they, they raised the money in the US for operations in China, but they never moved it over. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then finally, um, that uh, especially where there are executions uh, in China for uh, for they will often actually pay taxes and disclose locally honest yeah. numbers. And so when they're very different than what they're disclosing to Americans, that can be a red flag. Yeah, and that doesn't just apply to the Chinese reverse merger frauds. We've seen a lot of good short work where they'll go to Israeli companies or they'll look up local tax forms and they'll look and the local tax forms will claim $100,000 in profit. And then their SEC filings will claim $500 million in profit. And that's a very big red flag that needs to be answered. Uh, so I think that's it on fraud. Anything else? Okay. That's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, just a reminder, if you like this podcast, please be sure to follow and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or Audioboom because we're no longer on SoundCloud. If you have any feedback for us, please feel free to email it to us at podcast at rangelycapital.com. Our disclosures, Chris, I am not long anything that we've talked about. I think you're long a little Yahoo. I am. Chris is long a little Yahoo. Uh, that's it, and we will talk to you guys next week.